So I'd like you to, oh, you've got your pens and so uh, write down questions. Actually, I'm going to ask some questions for you to answer tonight, but you can answer them in private, you know, so uh, you want to see God and I think most of you said yes. So my next question is, are you sure? <laughs> And are you really sure? Are, are we ready for that? So, um, let's open it up right now. What do you think? Are you ready for it? I mean, really. What if you actually could? Right now. Not, and, and, and the reason why I say this is because it's easier for us to say, yeah, I want to see it someday. And in my heart, I know, well, I can't see him right now. I mean, he's not like coming tomorrow. Right? So I don't really have to worry about it. So it gets to be on the hypothetical plane. Are you hypothetically? Sure. Someday, maybe. You see what I mean? You follow my, my thought process here? Uh, this is the way our brains work. We have a tendency to think like that. Well, there's not much likelihood that I'm going to see him anytime soon. So, sure. But what if if we can, you know, drill down into our hearts and uh, answer that question from within? If you really, really could, like real soon, would you want to? So anybody want to offer a, or do you want to write them down and keep this private? That's okay if you want to do that. Because deep thoughts sometimes are best, you know, uh, incognito. Would you rather us do that? Whatever you want. Or you can answer the question straight out if you want. What do you, what do you think? I'll put the pressure on my hand. Maybe you want to see that. Huh? You maybe want to see God. I want to see Krishna. Uh, yeah, and that's what uh, devotees are supposed to do, especially the guru should make you want to see God. So this bhakti yoga is like a it's like a turning point in our spiritual life. Um, if we really fully analyze uh, the world of spirituality. There's many different levels and many different, it's all heading towards the same thing, you see. It, it's, it seems like so many different paths, but it's really, everybody's going back to Godhead, even if they don't know it. They may not agree that there even is a Godhead, but trust me, they're on their way back. So they may be at a certain point in their spiritual development where they don't see that uh, God is desirable to see. Now, there, there are, are many bona fide religions who don't think of that. They don't think in terms of seeing God. Uh, 
some of them I have some dear friends that I've had for many, many years. And they're, uh, I don't want to mention them because it sounds like I'm picking on So, I mean, and I say that because people nowadays in our climate, in our country, are so sensitive. They get offended at the slightest. I mean, really. It's like that's become the national, it used to be baseball was the national pastime. Now it's being offended. It's like I think a lot of people go out in the morning just waiting for an opportunity to be offended. I didn't like the way you said, did you hear what she said? Well, that means that she's just, although I'm not judgmental. Where, where does this come from? You know, it's like, it's sinful to be judgmental. However, when you, you know, you're, so I have to be real careful. I don't want people to get all upset because, you know, I'm, I stepped into the trap. There, there was a time when people could have discussions and people would say, in America anyway, I've heard this said all my life, I disagree with what you say, but I'm willing to die for your right to say it. Now that was the American First Amendment. We're all brothers here, we're all Americans. I totally disagree with you, your way of life, I don't even like people of your race. But I recognize your right to be here and your right to say what's what you have to say. That's golden. That's what well, it ain't like that anymore, is it? It's just not. And and uh, you know, sometimes we kind of miss that. So I say that I don't wanna I'm afraid to say which I mean, it really is a good story from some friends that I have, but I don't want to say the, the religion that they represent. But after people that have spent a lifetime in a bona fide uh, popular religion in America and the rest of the world, uh, studying, study, coming from parents who were dedicated, you know, not just occasionally, you know, once a week, but I mean dedicated and uh, expert in their scriptures and talk to them about what's your concept of God. And their attitude is, well, what, do you, what do you mean? You know, we've never gone there. It's kind of like we don't go there. Because we don't know, we don't, we don't know. We, we don't know what he, he doesn't look like necessarily anything. And it could be that he's maybe non-manifest, you see. Oh, so in other words, when we get down to the root of what it's all about, you have a God that's maybe unmanifest, doesn't have face, eyes, you know, unembraceable, un unapproachable, you see? But they don't, I can tell the resistance is, I'm uncomfortable talking about this because we don't go there. We don't go that far, you see? We don't, we don't know one way or the other, so we can only speculate. 
maybe there's just a God. We believe there's a God, but what that entity is, we're not sure. See? So, do I want to see him? If you ask people like that, I'm not really sure. I'm not so sure that you can. See, I don't know if I do. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever be ready to, to deal, you know? And, and I don't think it's necessary for me to have to deal with him. You see what I mean? Because uh, when I leave this body, uh, when I get liberation into what I determine is liberation in our faith, uh, I'm just going to have a really smashing place. You know, I'm just going to be smashing. Great, great place. Yeah. Uh, great accommodations. And so I'll get, I'll be living in his grace, his mercy. Of, but as far as dealing with him, that's not part of our plan. Does anybody here know faiths like that? That's not. And those, we don't go there. We don't ha have a plan. It's like I say, you know, you, the, when you, uh, I, I, and I usually approach it like this, you, the day after you're liberated into the, the prize of your particular faith, okay, whatever you want to call it. So what are you going to do? What's the first thing you and God are going to do? What are your plans? What are you talking about? You know? Uh, have you ever had this conversation with somebody? I always get blank stares and where are you going with this? Why would you ask such a question? I don't. So you don't really have any plans for, for you and God. It's not like you're going to go, once you get the, the transcendental moving van unloaded, you know, you get everything moved in, you get the cable hooked up. You know, they probably got, where we were liberated, they probably got tremendous cable, you know. Find out where the local Walmart is, the local Whole Foods. So then what are you going to do? Go running down the street and, hey, God, you home? You know, what do you, so, so many folks, uh, even Muslims, well, I said, I said a name. Oh God, now all the people out there that, okay, I like Muslims. I have lots of Muslim friends, really. Muslim friends in India, all over India, many of them. So, but they say, you know, I don't, I don't have a plan of what I'm going to do. He's going to do his thing and I'm going to live in his mercy. There's going to be something and it's going to be really nice for me. And uh, a lot of folks feel like, well, my wife is going to be there. Not my first wife. She was a nut. But the second wife, you know, of course she died. My third wife will be there, but I don't know how she'll get along with my second wife. But anyway, we're, mom, grandma and grandpa are going to be there. You know, my dog is going to be there. So in other words, basically my plan is to reassemble my... Uh, material life in the afterlife. Whatever I have here, I'm going to be there, but it's just going to be really nicer. 
you know, the climate's going to be a lot better. And uh, accommodations are going to be fantastic. So it's going to be me and my family, you see. And, you know, God's going to be there. We all know he's going to be there. So, but we're not even expecting him to drop by. It's like if you move to Washington, D.C., uh, the president of the United States lives there too. He lives in Washington, D.C. But just because you move to Washington, D.C. doesn't mean you're ever going to see him. Right? I mean, it's not like it's the easiest thing in the world to do. Even if you go hang around outside the White House, what are your chances you're going to see the president? Kind of slim, you see. So it's kind of like that with God. Yeah, he's there in the afterlife. But it's not like you go and see him. You know, then I ask people, well, does he go to church on Sunday? Well, how do they have church? You know, in the afterlife of your particular faith, do they even have? Blank. I didn't, we don't go there. We've never gone that far. You see, we're just trying to live such a life that will get us to this liberation, the stage, you see. And if we follow our path <coughs> and believe in a certain way, then we're going to get the good life. With all, with all of our, our choice family members will be there with us. See, so we get to continue uh, our material life in a liberated stage. Now, that's pious. That's pious. I'm not making fun of it, because it is. It's a step towards, I want to be in the kingdom of God. And I'm willing to do some austerities to uh, stay on that path back or to God. So, so that's why I come up with this question. Do you, uh, do you want to see God? Because I've asked it to so many people and I, uh, different parts of the world. And I get um, usually a very similar reaction. Very similar. Like, why would you, why would you ask that? So, and a lot of times people would say a knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, sure. But now are you sure? You see? So, uh, this Krishna consciousness is a, is a process to get us to the point to where we not only start to want to see God, but we get to the point where we see God. We, we see God. It's like... Um, I can't think of a good analogy, but if uh, if Govinda Madhava asked you to go over to his apartment and get his car keys for him, okay? And so you go in there and there's all kinds of keys hanging around. You don't know which keys, you see what I mean? It's, it's just, I don't know what to look for here. There's keys here. So what do your keys look like? You see what I mean? So uh, <clears throat> it's a crude way of saying that unless we know what we're looking for, we could be looking right at it. You see what I mean? 
if you don't know what you're looking for, you could be staring at it and you might have seen it all of your life. You see, you might have never really left or lost complete sight of it because you didn't recognize it. You didn't know what to look for, you see. So this concept that a lot of people have that God is far, far away, he's somewhere up yonder, it's usually he's up, except uh, for the people in Australia, then I guess he would be down, <laughs> right? When you think about it, why is he up? <laughs> so, uh, no, this is a process of uh, cultivating a desire to have God have him back. And then as we come through this uh, realization, we realize that he never left us. It's like I ask people from time to time, if you feel far from God, who do you think moved? Did he move? Did he leave? Or did you? So uh, we tried to leave him, but we really, we really can't. You see, we're, we're that close. We really are that close. So he's here and he is seeable and he sees you. You say, we can't hide from him. So um, we are actually part of his energy and he's not so far away, uh, so distant from us and so separate from us that we can get away from it only in our consciousness can we draw like a, the wool draw draw the wool over our eyes you know draw the curtain and say that he's not there or wonder if our consciousness gets degraded uh, materially then to that degree we lose our consciousness of, of him Does this make any sense yeah. you see we're actually uh, and that is the nature of this material world. It's the purpose of this world. This, is a, uh, this world exists for us to come and be away from God, to think that we're away from it, you see. So that means that we have to see everything that's all his energy, because he's the source of everything. We have to see everything is separate from him, everything, including me. You see, so, and then when we have a spiritual moment, we may be amazed at a sunrise or a sunset or something phantasmagorical that we just knocks us out. We think that kind of makes me wonder about God. Mm. You know, what about the ground you're standing on? Mm. You know, I mean, if you're looking at, uh, last night I could see there was this planet up over Finger Rock by my house, and it was like way bright. It's kind of orange. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I wonder what that is. You know, I don't know what it is. I guess you could probably get on the internet and figure it out what that is, but it's kind of interesting. And so uh, there I'm looking at it, and I had uh, a thought kind of like we would have back in the late 60s. 
you know, like, wow, I wonder if there's some guy up there looking at Earth right now, thinking, wow, dude, what is that? <laughs> that planet is like so cool, you know. <laughs> We're looking at this, wow, that's such a gorgeous orange colored light, you know. I mean, I later found out it was the, it was my neighbor's porch light, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm just kidding. No, it's really, it really was a planet of me. So, but there could be some creature up there thinking, wow, look at that thing down at that blue flashing planet. That's really, really gorgeous. Kind of makes me think of God. You know, so God's creation can make us think of him. That's called uh, pantheism. You heard that term? Mm -hmm. The American Indians uh, were pantheists. They worship God through his creation. Yeah, and they realize there is a, a great spirit, although, again, we know nothing about him, but we know this, that he's given us, and they had uh, respect for it. So, uh, does anybody have any questions, or should I ask some questions? Does anybody have any questions? We were kind of talking about this this morning, how people didn't, so many people didn't know who Krishna was when he came. They were all seeing him in so many different ways. We were talking about that by the time. No, why? Their consciousness. You, if you don't know what to look for, you'll walk right past it. Krishna knows that. I'm going to go walking around. Of course, everybody knew he was odd. Who needs blue? Who's blue? You know? I mean, come on. Look at all the different colors of people in our planet, you know. There's no blue. So he's blue, incredibly beautiful, you know. Um, and he had these things that he would do from even when he was a baby that would just make people wonder, who, who is this soul? But then they would kind of forget about it. And if, if people got, if his mother figured out, wow, you're, you must be God, he would blow into her face you know, with his yoga maya and confuse her. So if somebody started to figure him out, he, he had ways of, of dealing with it because he wanted to walk freely, you know. Otherwise, there would be a crowd around him. People would be following him. It would be false surrender. Oh, you, you're God. Okay, I love you, God. You know, I'm your guy. Uh, it's always been me and you, you know. So, and he knew nobody's looking for me. Who's looking for me? I've been to this planet. Don't tell how many times to different yugas. You gay, you gay. Uh, millennium after millennium I come. And they never catch on. Because they don't know who to look for. Mm -hmm. Did you have a question? Why is he blue? <coughs> huh? Why is he blue? Because uh, he wants to be. Uh, why is he blue? He's, he's actually, we say blue, 
That's the closest word we could use to describe his color. He's more like blackish blue. It's like the color of a monsoon thundercloud, storm cloud. You ever see these clouds? You see these blackish blue, gray, hard to say what color they are, but they're bluish and blackish at the same time. You know, so after some time of practicing Krishna consciousness, when you see that, you see, oh, that's Krishna. That's Krishna's color. You know, it'll remind you of Krishna. Why? Because we're starting to learn what to look for. Uh, another thing, how can you tell he's nearby? When some mischief is going on in your life. Really? things aren't working, you know, you, you're trying to make something happen and it just won't. Somebody's given you such a hard time, you know, and you think, oh, wait a minute. This is you. He's like, he's hiding around the corner going. <laughs> him and Balaram, they're like, little maroon. Took him an hour to figure it out. <laughs> It's this test. When are you going to think of me? You've got this potential calamity, you know. All right, so you found yourself with a six-hour layover, you know. So how are you going to deal with that? Are you going to feel like stupid airlines, stupid Pakistan? Why did they have to kill the soldiers in India so we had to change our schedule, you know? So was it something else or was it uh, for you, Krishna, dealing with you? When are you going to think of me? How, how long will it take for you to figure out that I'm giving you an opportunity to say, I know I'm under your control and care. Whatever's going on, it's the best possible thing that could possibly happen. And I embrace it. You see? So as you advance in Krishna consciousness, this reactive time between the time you realize that something is going wrong in your life, there's challenges, between that time you realize it and the time you turn immediately and, or you realize this is you, Krishna, that time starts to shorten to the point where it'll become practically instantaneous. Mm-hmm. And it'll be kind of funny, you know, it's kind of funny. It'll make you kind of giggle. (laughs) So I don't know why you're doing this, but it's okay. You know, I'm fine with it. So I have to do this and this and this, and I have to do that and that. And uh, a tool govind is not going to be able to pick me up until midnight. That's okay. You see? So we start to uh, recognize Krishna. He may not be like right there in your face, but how far away is he? You see? What does he want? He wants me to think of him. He wants you to think of him. It's like, wake up, you sleeping soul. There was a time when you could think of nothing but me. 
There was a time. That is your nature, to think of nothing but me. I'm that kind of guy. If you can remember me, you'll never, ever forget me. You'll never get me out of your mind because that is your natural position as a living entity. That's what you do. When you are able to get me out of your mind, you find yourself in the material world. You have to come here or a place like this to get him out of your mind and not be thinking about him. You see? So, but it's your nature. So it really shouldn't be that hard, theoretically, right? To remember Krishna. And yet, it is. It's a challenge. And the reason why it's such a challenge is because we actually, we've got some real faith in this material world. I mean, we really do. Uh, when you become a devotee of Krishna, you go into a period where you have faith and you start to develop uh, faith in God. But you still have faith in the material energy. After all, it's been with you birth after birth again and again, right? And maybe it's not really delivered a whole lot, but someday you're going to get some real great enjoyment from it. You know? So you have faith, you have mixed faith. You have faith in God. And we see this not just with devotees, but with every faith. I have mixed faith. Faith in God. I still have faith in the material energy. But as we chant Hare Krishna, that faith in Krishna grows and it starts to cover, push away this faith in the material energy until we come to the point where we find the material energy despicable. We see it as it really is. Um, so many promises have been made, so many uh, speculations we've had, birth after birth, you know. Why in my life alone, I've seen, I don't know how, I was thinking about this point, I don't know how many fads I've seen in my lifetime. And I'm only 71, you know. I've seen, I can't tell you. I'm, I'm afraid to make the list. And as far as food fads, medicine fads, and where they all go, they, 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 New ones come in and the old ones fall off the other side. New ones come in and they fall away. New ones, it's just a constant. It's like the material energy is always saying, hey, look at me. I got something for you. You may not even know you need this. Trust me, you do. Why, this is gonna, this is gonna help you. You know, I'm here for you. Have faith. And so we can, we can have a little faith in the material energy and still have faith in Krishna. That's mixed faith. But as time goes by, the material energy gets to be defined. And I always think of that, uh, <coughs> that moment in um, The Wizard of Oz. You know, when the little dog finds the guy behind the curtain. You know that moment? You know, that's such a... So the guy who wrote that must have been a devotee. Because it's, you know, the Wizard of Oz is saying, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. So Dorothy 
has just discovered that this is all a hoax. That giant head that she sees up there is not the wizard. It's this guy over here, this little old man, who's got some machine projecting an image. And he's saying, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. But once you see the man behind the curtain, how do you forget it? So how do you dumb yourself down? You know, once you get a taste of reality, and the answer is, is that you can't. Once you get enough of a taste of reality, <coughs> once you get enough of a glimpse of Krishna, you're never going to forget. And the material energy loses all of its sparkle. It become, you become numb to it. Numb. It's not particularly beautiful. It's not particularly bad. This is my place of serving my guru. And I can, I can perform devotional service here. And as long as I can perform devotional service and please Guru and Krishna, I am liberated. You see what I mean? So the place is not neither good nor bad. As a matter of fact, it becomes kind of good because it's an opportunity for me to do my devotional service. So the, the, the devotee utilizes the material world to do devotional service, not to try to enjoy. It is, the devotee doesn't think that, you know, if I manipulate the material energy in a certain way, then I'll start, I'll be able to enjoy it. You go, that, you're beyond that. You know, you're beyond that. It's like um, um, when I was in India, I have, a, you know, prostate issues. And I was saying to my doctor, it's a really, really good doctor. <coughs> I was saying, you know, what about saw palmetto? You know, they say that that's a good thing. And he said, you are way beyond that. You know, that may work once in a while sometimes, but you are so far beyond that. You know, you can take it and pray for the placebo effect for you to think that you're feeling better. A lot of people do. They take medicines and they believe that the medicine's making them feel better. And sometimes it actually has positive, but that's the placebo effect, you know, and it doesn't last. It's not permanent because after a while, your body is still going to be uh, sick. You know? So did you have a question? Uh, I was just thinking, <coughs> when you were talking, it just made me think how like aesthetically sometimes we, we can see the beauty in Krishna's creation, but when you start to get more insight based from Guru Sadhana Shastra on the uh, inner machinery of what's going on and that, you know, it's like, it's a very uh, cruel <laughs> uh, cycle that's going on. Yeah. Like, and you see that, you know, like a beautiful, oh, look at that beautiful insect. And then you realize that like a few minutes later, it's going to bite that insect's head off. You know <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, like you, like you said, it's, I mean, it's beautiful, like aesthetically, it's, it's like, wow, God's creation is <coughs> marvelous. And, but like the inner workings of this world are just brutal. Brutal is the, is the term, and it, and it is. I mean, in that, it's, uh, 
the larger animal eats the smaller animal. You know, that's the law of survival in, a, well, in the material world. And human beings are the top of the food chain, so they can eat whatever they want. You know, so, although they don't have to, they don't have to eat the other animals, but they still, they still do. So, yeah, even though, it's like, uh, I used to go to Hawaii once a year, uh, twice a year sometimes. Uh, and it didn't take very long for me to look around Hawaii and, and, and realize, you know, this is, this place is more beautiful than they could ever advertise it. There's no way you can advertise or portray Hawaii as it, as it is. You, you kind of have to see it to experience it because, you know, it's, it's on, it's on a different level. Have you been? Yeah. You see what I'm talking about? What I found out the first time I went uh, back in the 80s, nobody walks around saying, this place is so beautiful. I mean, it's just like that would be so dumb to say. Well, people would look at you and say, well, duh. Yeah. I mean, it really is. But then after closer examination, it's got the same elements as every other place. Birth, death, disease, old age. You know, there are people suffering, like everything. Um, it's easier to be homeless there because the weather is really good. But, I mean, sleeping on the sidewalk near the beach is still crummy no matter where you are. It's better than being in Minneapolis, I guess. But it's still, there's uncertainty there. There's... You see, it's the people there are, they don't want to go to work Monday morning. You know, it's not like they're thinking, well, this is so great. They had a struggle for existence there, just like anywhere else. So <coughs> it's <clears throat> very pretty. But, uh, and after you've been there a while, it's in, in many ways, not as pretty, not any more pretty than any, any other place, you see. The devotee starts to see beauty, beauty wherever he goes, you know, every place. Every place is very beautiful. But, I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, it's all very good. You know, Krishna has given us this world that we can use to serve him. There are resources here that can be used to serve God. You see? And the devotee becomes expert at squeezing these out of the material energy. Things that I can use to serve God. <coughs> Rather than be becoming uh, expert at squeezing the potential for me to enjoy these resources. So, uh, all right, do we have questions? What should we do? You want to, yeah. I have a question. Can I say, can I say a question? Yeah. So, what, what should we do like, in a situation that um, I just today came across like, a photo of two of my good friends, 15 years, <coughs> more than 15 years, and this car initiated. Just like over the last few years, what happened, they got into like, <coughs> eating. 
and this raw eating became a whole thing and they stopped going to the temple because the food there is not raw and like oh raw oh, yeah, yeah you know and sometimes you know sometimes you see other devotees kind of you know like getting into stuff that, like a fad and just after a while a fad, well i can tell you what Prabhupada said i can quote uh there were these devotees that were uh they were into uh this is another fad that went, came around and went. A fad is something that's really hot today and everybody accepts it as the greatest thing since whatever, you know? And then it just fades away because it's replaced by another thing that's just really great and everybody's doing it, you know? So um, there was a thing that was left over from the hippies. Um, people were eating, um, they go on a diet of steamed vegetables. You see, and so these devotees were eating steamed vegetables, and uh, so Prabhupada wondered why are they so weak? And they, and they said, well, they're sick because uh, whatever, and they're they're trying to. Prabhupada wanted to know what are they doing to get better? Well, they're eating uh, steamed vegetables, Prabhupada. And Prabhupada said his favorite word when he was disgusted with this nonsense. They're eating raw. Oh, no, no. So the devotees acted like, oh, no, you don't understand, Prabhupada. No, no, they steam the vegetables. And Prabhupada said, it's raw. No, no, it's cooked. Prabhupada said, it's raw. Well, then what would you have to do for the food to be cooked? And Prabhupada said, you add ghee. Or you could add coconut oil, I guess. But if you add some oil, then the food is considered cooked. And Prabhupada said, they will die like this. If they continue, their health will, it'll diminish. I mean, if you eat steamed vegetables, if you eat raw vegetables, you'll lose weight. So you can do that for a while, but you, there comes a time when you're going to have to eat properly. And so, so many people know, believe that they know I know there's this stupid Ayurveda and they tell you how to eat. And I know Prabhupada taught us, how, but that's all baloney because the guy at Whole Foods told me that. And on the internet, they're doing this. You see what I mean? So I hear the spiritual energy, but the material energy really sounds great. You know? And everybody else is doing it. So. Uh, if you want to lose weight, and I know people in my lifetime that have done that, if you if you go on a, a, a raw food diet, you will lose weight and maintain some nutrition. But it gets to a point where you, you need to start eating properly. You know, you need to eat some cooked food. Humans need cooked food. Now that people say, but if you cook it, you cook some of the nutrition out of it. That may be. But for you to get nutrition out of food, it has to be cooked because you are a human being and that's the way your system works. So whether you lose some or not, for you to extract it, it needs to be cooked. You see what I mean? So the question was a little bit different. You know, like, whether it was very good input, but, you know, when we as friends, you know, see our other devotees who are friends, get into those fans, like, 
you know, not, not the, from nutritional point of view or health point of view, but like what happens to those devotees? They just got into this fat and then they stopped going to the temple because the food there is cooked. And then they kind of grew and grew and grew and grew. And then last time I saw them was like three years. And now they're just kind of leaning and leaning. What's that? Leaning, leaning. Like they don't really talk. They just, they just yeah, Alien, over yeah. this like like small fad that devotees fifteen years in this car. Well, the the is. danger is that people get into something, call it a fad, whatever. It, it's it's kind of a hard thing to deal with because people really embrace this, you know, and you you can really make them mad, you know, unless you say, yeah, well that's great. You know, so, but anyway, they take that conviction to the temple. So in the temple, they have prasadam. And people are, are not, uh, they're neophyte to the point where they don't understand the nature of prasadam. I don't think we do as good a job now as we used to in ISKCON. Uh, and Prabhupada taught us from the day from day one, what is prasadam? You know, Prabhupada had a bunch of hippies coming to the storefront at 26-2nd Avenue. And sometimes he would be giving Bhagavad Gita class and they would be smooching. They'd be sitting in there and smooching, you know. Sometimes they would go downstairs and smoke hash. And, you know, they would be kissing. And so, and then they would eat. He, he would cook for them and he would serve it out and just eat. And then they would leave and go, of course, after a good meal, you want to go have a good smoke. So they'd go do their thing, probably would clean it up. So he knew if you just eat, if you just eat this magic food, it's magic because it is Krishna. Because when you offer something to Krishna, he... Uh, eats it and he becomes the offering. So to take prasadam, you, you can actually go back to Godhead by just eating prasadam. It'll raise your consciousness to the point to where uh, you'll take on devotional service. Prasadam is, I mean, like I say, we don't put enough em emphasis on what what is prasadam. So having said that, there is something that offsets that. If you offend this wonderful prasadam, prasadam basically means mercy of God. That's the, the interpretation. So if I say, if I offend this mercy of God, well, then I've committed an offense. You see what I mean? Now, we never had that problem before because people would come and they would be hungry and we would feed them and they love it and you see what I mean? Except once in a while, you'd have some people who would be on the Mediterranean diet or some other whatever. Once in a while. But what happens is people reject prasadam. And they start to see. It's not that you say, no, I don't want any of that. It's that I see that as lower than what I eat. You see what I mean? In other words, somebody has cooked Krishna what he likes. Can you imagine, I mean, can, can you imagine, you know, Krishna has some nice food stuff. And he says, 
you know, he just takes a bite. He says, hey, would you like some? Well, and you go, yuck, no. <sighs> well, wait a minute. <laughs> I can't, Krishna's going to be like, I can't believe what just happened. Yuck, you know. So in other words, I'm telling you that your stuff that you love is yuck. You see what I mean? So this affects their consciousness and it starts to, that's why you don't see them. They don't, after a while, they start to find faults with other things. They start to not come around. Their sadhana starts to suffer <coughs> with so many things. But how can we like as friends, you know, because if you try to outsiders to like, you know, wake up Krishna consciousness and somebody, like what can we do? Because it could be like different things. I have some devotees in Russia. They got you have to like, set the example bodybuilding and this became like a whole thing over the temple you know like those little things if we see that like what do we do you have to set the example you have to be their friend even and uh, even if they're kind of off the track a little bit you know the worst thing you can do is try to convince them that they're wrong probably you're going to lose and make them some tension between your friendship because they know, damn it, that they're right. You know? So, I know we're attached to their spiritual well-being. You know, but sometimes we just have to just be their friend and help them try, try to help them come out of it. But that's what happens with things like that. People become offensive to, they, they actually see prasadam, the stuff that Krishna is eating. They see that as something lower than what they eat. I mean, come on, I know better about what there is to eat than God. I know better. <laughs> what kind of, what is that? What about if it's like for health reasons, like, you know, I've had like health problems, so if you have like, like something like, that, you know, like health-wise, <laughs> that really agreeing with you and you know it like, for your health, at night for your health, there may be some things that you can't take. That's not an offense. That's not an offense. If someone offers you, it's like sometimes people offer me mango. Well, I can't eat mangoes right now. But I don't go, you, you know, take a little piece, give me this little corner of it right here. Because I want the mercy. This, when you deal with prasadam, you should want the mercy. Wow, it's time for prasadam. You mean it's time to eat? No, it's time to honor prasadam. For, we didn't talk about eating in ISKCON until the late 80s. Up until then, it was everybody honored Prasada. Nobody ate. Everybody honored Prasada. It was a whole ritual. You know, Sari Rabin Yajam, Jatim It's a whole thing, you know. And then you pay your obeisances to the Guru, and then you would honor the Prasada. You know, Krishna just ate this. Now, if you have a special need for your diet, that means you have less of this and more of that. 
You know, some people have to cut way back on grains, some people on sugar, some people on this or that. That's okay. You can balance that out. But I'm telling you, in the old days, we would, we would steal the maha. We would, <laughs> we wanted it. You know, <laughs> this is Krishna. So a, a good thing to, to do, I know we're not getting to the, I saw Ron Sundry look at the clock. We're not getting to the, to the questions, but. Um, oh, just um, yeah, a good thing to do is to be able to, to work on your mind and to, and to understand the beautiful nature of prasadam. Uh, that um, prasadam prayer, uh, um, not, there's one that's for the noon arti. You know the one I'm talking about? I can't remember the words right now. So again, we're not doing a good job if we used to, but there's the for the new there's the Nunarti song. We, I don't think we have a Nunarti here. But in the in the other temples where there's Radha Krishna deities, you do. Uh, and uh, but anyway, if you can find that, I'll find it for you. And you read the translation. What is Lord Chaitanya eating? I mean, it will, it'll make you drool when you hear this opulence that Lord Chaitanya is, is, is taking. You know, it's different cakes in condensed milk. <laughs> you know, all these different far out preparations. Uh, banana flowers. Coated in batter and deep fried banana flour pakoras, you know, with mango chutney. And you know, it's just like, and this is just lunch. So if we study Krishna, what does he like to do? He likes to share this opulence with his devotees. He likes to share that. And that's not just now, but Always in the liberated stage when you're back home, back to Godhead, this is going to be Krishna's nature. He's not going to say, Oh, wow, you've come back, you're back home. What do you say we send out for pizza? You know, no, he's going to have some, he's going to say, Sit down. There's going to be some opulent feast. Now, is it sense gratification? It's transcendental sense gratification. So there's this, this loving exchange. It's very intimate to share food. That's very intimate. One psychologist I talked to said that it's more, more it's much more intimate for people to share food than it is to share sex. Because anybody can, you can meet somebody and in just a few minutes, decide to have sex and then argue about what to eat. Well, I can't eat that. No, really, yeah. You eat that, you know, you see what I mean? So eating is a very intimate exercise. But it's okay to offer, like when I offer them, it's not really a 
I think Krishna loves pizza. Yeah, why wouldn't he love pizza? Not pepperoni pizza. Unless it's vegetarian. But yeah, why wouldn't pizza? You know, it's got grains, tomato sauce. No, but you said when you come to Krishna, he's not going to say, let's eat pizza. It's best not to eat from outside establishments. No, of course, when you make like your when you take grains, especially grains, when someone prepares grains, they actually, there's actually a transfer of some of their karma into the grains. And so if, if you're eating something prepared by a Brahmin, then, I mean, it's a whole scientific thing. Only a Brahmin, an initiated Brahmin, can actually touch fire meaning to cook over fire. If you're not initiated Brahman and you can cut it up and get it ready for the Brahman to take and put it into the, the ghee and the whatever and to cook it. So, and there's a reason for that because Radharani doesn't let anything but the very best get set in front of her beloved Krishna. The kitchen belongs to Radharani. She's in charge of it. She's Radha's the. I mean, in in the in the, our bigger temples where we have Radha Krishna deities, the deities actually have their own kitchen. Like in Dallas, there's a kitchen that cooks. They actually have many different kitchens, but there's one kitchen that cooks just for the deities, and certain only certain people can do that. So, but if you don't get food that's cooked in that way, then there may be some karma transfer. And so as you eat it, you got the karma from, you see what I mean? So eating is, spiritual eating is a science. <clears throat> it's not as easy as just get some organic and, you know, it's not as easy as that, you see. And it, it, whatever impurities could possibly be in anything that's offered to Krishna. What do you think happens to them once they taste his lotus lips? Once the food touches his mouth? Or actually when he just glances at it. Or maybe when Radharani glances at it. Oh, this is going to Krishna. You see, this, there's a process to where, you know, it becomes, it becomes Krishnaized. 100%. You see, so it becomes, uh, what's the word? Uh, sanctified and purified. You know, so there's no uh, adverse reaction in any way, shape, or form. Now, if you eat the same stuff cooked by somebody else, yes, you get whatever poison is in it whatever karma, whatever pesticide, whatever, you get it, you see. But when it goes through the process, then it comes out for Sodom. Did you know? Yeah, um, what if you're, if you're taking it home and then you were making some prasadam before you accept it? Yes. I'm gonna throw in a little bit of love. 
Was what you're describing just the, the temple? Yeah. Okay. But now here's a question a lot of people would ask from time to time. Is the prasadam that I make at home as potent as the prasadam that we offer at the temple? And the answer is, according to your desire to please Krishna, yes. My dear Krishna, I don't have the facility to please you. My dear Radha, please help me clear my mind, clear my consciousness. I'm just wanting to make something nice for Krishna. Please empower me. That's pretty sweet to Krishna. And then whatever you cook tastes as divine as anything. Because you're remembering him. The, the process of bhakti yoga has come full circle. It's complete. You're thinking of Krishna. And you're lamenting. Oh, I can't, I can't do it as nicely as I should, Krishna. Oh, that's sweet. You see? Although to Krishna, he may, he may say this, oh, this is so nice. And there's examples of, of Krishna's pastimes where his devotees offered him something that was low class. But to him, it was fabulous. He thought, oh, this is so good. <laughs> Not all devotees can do this, but some devotees take care of the Tulsi tree, and then that's a special secret he offered them a Tulsi leaf. Yeah, you can throw in a Tulsi leaf. Special, special ingredient. The main thing is love and just that understanding. You know, I know I'm not set up here. I don't have a marble altar. I don't have silver dishes. I don't have proper knowledge. But I do have the desire to please you, Krishna. That I've got. I really do. It's not like, uh, all right, throw stuff together, throw it on the altar. Here you go. God bless this. I need you to bless it. So I can eat it. <laughs> you know, and I'm kind of running, I'm kind of in a hurry, so you can like bless it real quick. And, I mean, like you're God, you ought to be able to bless it like that. <laughs> you see, well, where's the love there? But if you're like, you know, it's a high intensity burner. So, I mean, when you're, you just think, wipe the counter. The dishes are clean. Your thoughts are clean. I want to please you, Krishna. And we both know that I'm not qualified. You know, I mean, people may rave that you're the best cook I know. But in your heart, you're thinking, I'm not qualified to please you, Krishna. But I want to. So Radharani hears that and she says, Krishna, this devotee is cooking such wonderful prasadam for you. When you taste it, you will get ecstasy. So this whole process takes over this loving relationship. Radharani fills in whatever you're lacking. It's okay. So by the time it gets to his mouth, it's first class. Krishna's like, oh, that was great. Give me more. All right, I'm going to ask questions while everybody eats. Is that okay? Unless there's another one right now.
Okay. Are you okay with that, Crew Dave? Are you are you okay with that? Would you rather? <laughs> no, I'm okay. Yeah. Um, uh, my eating has been kind of strange lately. Okay. I gotta go. Who went to? Oh, right. Rayshorn went and got it. Do you know where that place is where he got that cough medicine? No. He got this Chinese cough medicine at some Chinese store. No, no, no. <coughs> anyway, I'm about to get some of that. They say that it works. Mm. We can ask him for it. Remind yeah. Shoot my text. I got it. Okay. I went and took a picture of it a little mm. while ago. So I'll, I'll find it. It's like it. a herbal? Like an herb? Yeah, it's Chinese yeah. herbs. It's like a whole list of Chinese herbs. And so... Um, Either of that, or I'm going to have to do it the Ayurvedic way. I should probably do it. Cover my chest with mustard oil and sit out in the sun. That's what he does. I see him. I see him out here in the sun. <laughs> but see, I'm so cold. I'm telling you, there's something that's going on. My body does this from time to time. I mean, I'm generally freezing to death. It's like 81 degrees outside, and I'm walking around with a vest. And Windbreaker and long sleeve t shirt. <laughs> you know? I don't think I've been able to find an accurate source for um, bona fide Ayurvedic scripture. It's pretty tough. That is a source of a lot of ripoff. Now, there's some Ayurvedic doctors. Uh, I've met many of them, and they're extremely good, but they're extremely crooked. Because they got a license to steal. Because they can take your pulse. Excuse me, Ron Dave. Yeah. Uh, have, we have pasta, but I don't know if uh, I don't know if you. I can't do pasta. You can't do pasta. What about rice? No. You can't, can't do, do anything. You're just gonna do sauce. Do, do they have any doll? Uh, doll. The temple. Just go to the restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. Go to the, the restaurant and get, just get me a bowl of doll. Okay. Cool. And can you make a uh, and pakora? You want a pakora? No. No. Can you make a plate for Keshva? Because he's coming back from somewhere out there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a good they they can they can diagnose, and I know this to be a fact because I've actually done it. I come from a hospital. Remember when we went to the guy? I was with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew that I had um, fatty liver. I knew that I had that. He'd been diagnosed from a Western doctor. And so he's taking my pulse and he says, You've got fatty liver. Now, how would he know? And everything that I had, that I knew that I had, he was able to diagnose from the pulse. So they can do that. They can, they're so good. I they can't can, believe it. That's all he did. That's all they did. No blood test, they can tell by the pulse. And but then what they do is they start to sell you stuff. What you need is some of these and some of these and some of this, some of that. And finding the ones that are bona fide is kind of difficult. But there are many of them that can that are very good in the science of of diagnosis. And that's where America is really lacking. Coming up with a diagnosis. 
What they do is they say, well, I think it's this. Here, take this prescription and come back and see me in two weeks. Still feeling bad? Well, let's change your prescription and you come back and they get you in the loop. You know, because they really don't know. They're not that great at diagnosis. Now, once, once the Americans get a diagnosis, they're very good at treating it. Prophets in Western medicine is very good. And the, the, the Ayurvedic guy, can he can come up with a diagnosis. But he's real stingy. But he's going to use it to make money. Now, not always. I mean, there's some, probably some people out there saying, well, this is not true. No, for the most part, there's a lot of them. They just start selling you stuff. Any good Ayurvedic doctors that you know read books? Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure, yeah. yeah. Giri Raj Swami had a good Ayurvedic doctor that actually was able to diagnose and cure him. He's, he's passed on, but his office, his organization is still in existence. People that he's trained. So they can give you a proper diet and uh, they, they can't help you. You find somebody that's really wanting to help you. So, but, you know, too, too often, and, and doctors in America, they have a license to steal. Because you're, you're not, the, the money is not going to come out of your pocket. It's coming out of somebody else's pocket. You have insurance, whether it be state or your, your employer or somebody. So once I get you in my office, I can, I'm going to, treat you as much as I can before the insurance company says, hey, stop that. You're, you're just stealing from us. And then I'll back off a little bit. Now, that's an absolute fact because I was in that. Can you have veggie burgers? Is it whole wheat? That looks like whole wheat bread. Yeah, I can do that. These are veggie burgers. Yeah, I can do that. It's good? Yeah. Okay, I want to, me and Chick Tanya Lou, we brought you that. Wow. There's some uh, that is, uh, very good. <laughs> We just set it on the floor. Oh, so. no, let's go. Okay. All right. Uh, we can talk more about that. It's a whole. Thing. I was in the medical insurance business for 25 years, and I know. I know what. I know the way it works in America. <laughs> okay. Once we get Krishna and transcend the material world, must we return to Godhead? after this life, or can we stay to help others? Uh, that depends on uh, two things, your desire. If that becomes your service, if your service to Krishna is to help others, then that is your liberation. So the, the definition of liberation changes for a devotee in time. In the beginning, uh, I want to go back to Godhead. Man, I want the great digs and I want the, the beautiful Vrindavan forest. You know, those reservoirs of crystal water. You know, I want all that. I want Krishna stuff. It's just kind of pious. It's kind of impure. And then I get to where I become more and more purified, but then I'll get to the point where I uh, 
I simply want to serve Guru and Krishna. And if my service is to be here, you, you lose your taste, or you lose your demand for liberation. I just want to serve you, Krishna. I want to make you happy. Whatever, what, however that manifests, I want to make you happy. So if Krishna says, well, would you stay here? Would you stay in this world? And you'll never forget me. And you just bring people back home. And you may say, yeah. So I get to, I, I have what appears to be a material body, but I have spiritual consciousness. You know, so, yeah, what's wrong with that? And in that perfectly liberated stage for preaching, you can never be touched by Maya. Maya can't touch you. Why can't Maya touch you? You've attained pure love for Krishna. Because you get to a point in your devotional career to where Krishna says to Maya, just leave this person alone. Leave Jesse alone. He's mine. I'll deal with it. So for the devotee, the temptation, the temptation is not coming from the material energy. It's coming directly from Krishna. He's training you and testing you and tasting your love. You know, when you pass the test, they won't give you a test that you can't you can't pass. He won't do that. Sometimes you. If, 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 how is, uh, what's the test of a loving relationship? Stress. How does a family, how does a family know how tight they are under a stressful situation? Right? So Krishna will stress you to taste the sincerity of your love for him. You'll put some stress and you get to the point where you know this is you and you're stressing me. That's okay. I'm cool with it. This is your plan. And you're trying to trip me up. Because you're going to have to try it a little harder. You know, can you pass like semi? Do you have to do you pass always with flying colors? Because sometimes you pass. Sometimes it takes you a long time to pass. <laughs> you get like a sixty percent. Yeah, you get like half now. It's like on installment payments. You pay half down, and then later on you make a little bit more. But you always want to pass. Yeah. Yeah. And the devotee may say to Krishna, you know, I really want to go be an illusion. I want to go be in Maya. So then Krishna says, okay, that's your free will. But he knows you're just going to suffer. You're going to be back soon. You'll go suffer. It's like we used to see people that would join and then they would all of a sudden disappear after a while. They'd be home drinking, smoking, and 
you know, carousing around and burn themselves out, and here they come back, you know. <laughs> so sometimes people want to go taste mana again. That's not uncommon. <sighs> wow. Avocado. Speaking of, did Narahari leave me some avocado? Yeah. Oh. This is better. Okay. Yeah. I'm reminded of like um, Buddha's mission where he didn't want to go to like a heaven and he wasn't preaching love of God, but he didn't want to go to a heaven because there weren't people suffering there. He wanted to be where the suffering was and where the that's that's this uh, nature of mercy. You see, in other words, uh, yeah, it would be great, I'm sure, to go back home, back to Godhead. I'd love it, be there with Krishna and the cowherd boys, and, you know. But I'm afraid that if I did that, I'd forget about my service, and I'd want to lay some proprietorship to it, you know. Like, wow, this Goloka Vrindavan, this is a really big place. Why can't this part right here, like, be mine? You know, and that, that lake over there, maybe that can be my lake. Start to, maybe not, but it would be just my nature to start thinking, why can't I own some of this, you know? For me, best that I do what I like to do for Krishna. And it's, why do I like it? Because it pleases my guru and it pleases Krishna. It gives me great ecstasy in that way. And that's just what I'm doing. I'm not asking Krishna for anything. What would I ask Krishna for? More of the same. Give me more of what you're giving me. And maybe more resources to serve to the level that you want me to serve. Other than that, what does the devotee want? The devotee feels like I'm good. You know, go ahead, take prasadam. Go ahead. So, did that answer that question? Yeah, you may want to stay here to help others. Is the artistic expression of Krishna a form of deity only with, uh, when it is um, scripturally accurate? Uh, there's more to this, but yes. In other words, you can't just con concoct like a, a golden calf. I'm going to worship God as a golden calf. You know, that's like if you went to someone's house and they have a picture of somebody there and they say this is this is you i worship this picture of you and you say well that's not me <laughs> well but i see it as you <laughs> but it's not me i don't look like that you know i'm not a golden calf <laughs> you know i can i can see how God would feel if there, 
Moses says, they're worshiping a golden calf down there. And God says, what? <laughs> what? Hoy <laughs> vey. So that is with the golden calf. <laughs> you know, now I, so, but yet if it's bona fide, like Prabhupada said, if you, um, if you put together a box and you paint it blue and you write on the side U.S. mail and you put it out on the street, if people start putting their envelopes in there, they're not going anywhere. It's not bona fide. But if it's a bona fide mailbox, then the mail will go. It'll reach the destination. So you're, if you worship the bona fide representation of God, then the worship goes goes to it. He receives it. You see? That's not too much to ask. He was, if you're going to worship me, be kind of bona fide with it. You know? Really? Can uh -huh. you mention just in that connection, kind of the Western, <coughs> um, sometimes the, the Westerners have imposed their uh, Western art. Some of the early artists, they would do that, and they probably would correct them and say, no, no, that's actually... Like Krishna doesn't look like he's a ripped out six-pack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not Krishna. Unless he's Lord Nishingane, right? <laughs> yeah, Lord Nishingane. He's, <laughs> yeah, he's a liar. Krishna has a little bit of a Brahmin's belly. You know, they call it, they call it Brahmin's belly. You know, why? Because Krishna pigs out on milk sweets. You know, he's not going to be six-packed out. He's got a little bit of I mean, he's not overweight, but he's, you know, healthy looking. This, uh, Prabhupada said one time, those who work out a lot and lift their, um, typically that's either the chatriyas, if your duty is to, to defend, you know, to go to war, and you may need that. It's either the chatriyas or the demons. <laughs> Demons need to be six-packed because they're out trying to steal whatever they can get, you know. Brahmins don't need, they need to be toned and healthy, you see. Vaishas are too busy. They're making money and milking the cows and growing the food. So they may be in shape. They don't have time to sit and lift and do all that stuff, you know. They're not looking to body sculpt, you know. Sudras are typically in good shape because they work hard. You know, so, yeah, they make. Sometimes they make like their faces look like a handsome man from the West. <laughs> yeah. Said they have brown. Or sometimes <laughs> the Indians make him look like a handsome man from India. <laughs> I was going to say, I see that more. You see that a lot, you know. So. <laughs> you said they have round faces, right? Yeah, Krishna has moon-like face. Chandra. Chandra face. Chandra. Are visual depictions of the demigods illusory forms? No. I mean, there are bona fide depictions of demigods. You know, there's a certain way that they look. 
Lord Brahma looks a certain way. <coughs> Lord Indra. <coughs> the demigods are real. They're real folks. They're um, souls just like us, but they're on a higher level. You know, they're on a high, higher level. Their lifespans are longer. Uh, they need to be empowered to do the things that they have to do. You know, they have to control the wind and the weather and so many things. So they have, they need this empowerment that they have. But that's just in this bodily situation. They're just a soul like you. All of us have been to any thoughts at one time or another. When you come into this material world, you enter as Lord Baba. That's the first step. Krishna doesn't say, oh, you want to go to the material world and I make you a worm. No. It's a very gentle thing because Krishna loves you very much. Very gentle. So you want to be the controller? You'd like to do your own thing? Okay. So you can... How would you like to go create a universe for me? Would you like that? Oh, ugh. I get to be in charge? Yeah. So, yeah. So, but Lord Ramon, he's a devotee, right? And now Parampara system, he's very tough. Yeah. So how does it happen that we migrate from Lord Ramon, who's a devotee? A little bit of time, a little bit of lust. He's not a few anymore. Lord Brahma, the top of the Alpha Rambler system, is not Lord Brahma with the seniors. Right. <coughs> yeah, there's stories about Lord Brahma. What is that story, Tugo Vinda? Uh, Lord Brahma was uh, sexually agitated. By his, by his, by his, by his daughter's huh? daughter. Yeah, yeah. One of his own daughters. Yeah. So yeah, he can be overcome by lust. How does it happen? I mean, he, he's like supposed to be pure devotee that directly, you know, receive instructions from Krishna. If he's like, you know, at that level, he's, you know, if you look at our Parampara of Bhagavad Gita, he's like, in the beginning, he's still subject to the modes. Though. Yeah, the modes, slowly he's going down. Of course, he doesn't have to. He can get his consciousness together and not go down. But he can learn from his experiences. But they're on his own. It's difficult. The material energy is very attractive. We see it as attractive. It's not, but we see it. You gonna sign us off? Yeah. He's still, you know, that, that's, the, that's, that's not clear because you know, oh, yeah. him being like an alpha opera, him being a pure devotee, how does he still get affected by all that? I think it's, I think uh, the past time or the, uh, yeah, Krishna um, his pure devotees in certain, in certain scenarios, right? Yeah. In certain situations for a reason for, to show us, to show us. The so living entities so can be affected by the material energy. 
certain levels certain levels of living, living entities have progressed so far that they can't be. You know, Srila Prabhupada is an example. He wasn't affected by the material energy. Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur wasn't affected by the material energy. But there are pure devotees who can be pure devotees, but can be. Ultimately, they can be. Not forever, but they can have some disturbance. It also happens to Brahma, just by little by little the degradation. Yeah. Yeah. And there are unlimited Lord Brahmas. Unlimited. Is it possible to attain Krishna without knowing who Krishna is? Um, well, the thing of it is, you may attain him, but you wouldn't know. If you don't know what to look for, how do you know when you find him? You know? I mean, we may have met. Krishna may have come to you from time to time. At some time when you were really down and out. And you just needed some help. There might have been someone... Like maybe you're in a park or something like that and someone just sat down near you and you got some sort of, I mean, and you didn't think, oh, there's God, you know, but there are people uh, who can have, you can have an experience with God and not know it, you see, it's possible. We're, we're, we're doing it a lot. And we don't even know it. Because we're not Krishna conscious. We're not conscious of it. We, we get to the point when we get conscious of Krishna, uh, we kind of see him almost everywhere. Almost every situation. You see, it's like you start to realize that you're just all-pervading, aren't you? You're everywhere. I don't know how I how I haven't seen you before. You see what I mean? Because you are. You're every. You're in everything. <laughs> I was thinking that Bhagavan realization comes with <coughs> Bhagavan realization, and that would mean that if we're not seeing Krishna personally, then we're seeing because we're we're Brahman realizing we're seeing his energy. Right. So if I'm not, like, if Krishna is not manifesting himself, it's too hard form. I'm still seeing Krishna through his, his Brahman nature. He's all pervading nature. Yeah, I can be liberated of sorts into the impersonal Brahman, but I still don't see Krishna. Mm -hmm. Although the Brahman is his energy. It's him, but I still don't see his face. And I'm liberated. Or I can work my way into the nirvanic stage. I can follow Lord Buddha's teachings and achieve nirvana. So I'm liberated. I don't get Krishna. To get, to get Krishna, you got to... You gotta have love. You gotta love it. 
You're going to feel some love. And that will give you a strong desire to want it. And you'll be looking for it. But if I don't think he's there, I'm not looking for it. That's okay. It's not a sin. So I might walk past him. If I'm not looking for him, I might walk past it. thinking people oftentimes they don't they don't see that the guru is the direct representation of Krishna. And so, yeah, they can't. So like I was just thinking about the ambassador example of the ambassador for the king. Yeah. It's coming and like well the king is all, all of a sudden the king's like right there through his messenger. And like the guru is like Prophet says that story. It's like when the king when India occupied uh, was occupied by Britain, the king sent the viceroy. And so the viceroy is the repre direct representative of the king. And as far as, for all intents and purposes, in India, the viceroy is the king. Now we know he's not the king, but he is, because he knows exactly what the king wants. He follows the king's instructions, and he governs according to the king's desire. So when you're dealing with him, you're dealing with Lord Jesus Christ is... What does he say? You've seen me, you've seen, me, you've seen the Father. That doesn't mean that I am the creator of all this. No, I, my opinion is my Father's opinion. If you're dealing with me, you're dealing with him. I'm his direct, personal representative. In other words, my opinion is totally aligned with him. So that's a good example that representative of the king, you know. He's always associating with the king. Yeah. Yeah. Like he just stepped out of the room <coughs> in the office with the king. And yeah. They're totally on the same page. Uh, what is the best way to see Krishna everywhere, including the material world? Uh, we have to see that everything is Krishna. Everything comes from Krishna. So everything is Krishna. Although that doesn't mean that we get impersonal. You see, we may have a tendency to get that way. Everything is God. This is all his stuff, his energy. So uh, we have to start wanting. I want to be with him. I want to have him. So therefore, I'm going to do something to attract his fancy. Chant Hare Krishna. Uh, I'm going to offer him some nice prasadam. I'm going to associate with other people that seem like they've got a handle on this. And I'm going to do some nice service. I'm going to do some service. In the beginning, the service is going to be what I want to do. That's pious. Krishna, I want to do this for you. And I'll advance to the point where I want Krishna. I want to do what he wants me to do. You see? So as your love grows, then you want to do what he wants. It becomes very important to you. To the degree that you love somebody, it becomes very important uh, to you to please them. It's like if somebody... Uh, if they hate 
I don't know who could hate ginger tea, but if they hated ginger tea, you wouldn't make them your special recipe for ginger tea, would you? Are you sending me a message? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I love ginger tea. That's just a crude example. You see what I mean? So you uh, you mentioned uh, Moses and the, the people who were worshiping the golden calf. So those people would they be Brahmanrealized? So that because they're trying to worship the energy of the Lord, but they're doing it in this way, but they're not getting that direct connection. It's not right. bona fide. But is that still Brahman? Are they Brahmanrealized? Not that? quite on the level of Brahman. You know, they're extremely pious people. And rather than just cavorting around and getting intoxicated and sharing each other's lives and things like that. In other words, rather than just being like a bunch of hippies, <laughs> they actually have some, some decency. And they want to worship, but they don't know how. They don't know where to, where to put their worship. These people... We're actually fortunate enough to actually get the direct representation of the Lord through Moses also there, but then like after the fact they had built the idol and he had already given them all the instruction on how to be good pious people. Yeah, I was going to say contextually, if you understand the context, you really know that it's, they're basically, like he's saying, they're just rebelling. Like even if they had like a Vermont realization or any of those realizations of their own individual account, he had already given them all the answers. Instructions. He was their He was their guru. He was their representative uh, of, of God. He was a representative of God that had come to help them. Those people died in the desert. They never made it to the promised land. Mm -hmm. We have to remember this. Like they, they were so rebellious. Like God was giving them manna from the heavens. Mm. Krishna's giving them manna, and they're at, and they're they're craving the the quail that they had in captivity, and then God's like, okay, no. I mean, this is how bad it was. That's that's an example of how we can how we can <coughs> reject God's mercy. Yeah. <clears throat> because I know better. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing this, and that's really great. But I don't want that. I want. I, mean, I don't even know what manna is. I don't want it. I want, I want what I want. I have a, I have a clear conception of what I want. I know what's best for me. So the living entity is is a lot like that. I know what's best for me, and I know what I want. So you get out of my face. If you want the same thing I want, maybe we can be friends. So that starts to all break down and dissolve to, when we start to fall in love with God. When we start to have, that just what would have happened if they had taken shelter of Moses? Mm -hmm. The outcome would have been 180 degrees if they had taken shelter and offered respect and saw him as the direct representative. So in other words, God is manifesting through you, Moses. He's trained you up and you're, you've come to help us. So whatever I'm thinking that I want, 
I'm wrong. <clears throat> I'm wrong. My people perish for a lack of understanding. That's like the famous verse. Hmm. People perish for... My a... people perish for... Uh, is that Moses? Yeah, for a lack of understanding. No, that's God. Oh, right. Wow. It's been so many decades since I read the Bible, I can't remember. <coughs> uh, wow. And people disagree. The water? No, we went through all the questions. Oh. <laughs> 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 I think some people disagree with leading worship because of uh, one of the commandments that says, I shall make no graven, no, yeah, no graven images and no depictions of what is in heaven or on the earth. Yeah. Um, but they're not seeing what we're actually talking about. You know, these guys, it was a concoction. They had concocted creature that they said was God. That's the gist of what we're saying here. Um, you you don't have the authority to say what it looks like. Yeah. Whereas we have bona fide instructions on how to... Oh, we know how he looks like. We know what he looks like, and, and we've been given instruction. There's a specific um, Quran, is it? Yeah. It describes everything in detail. Oh, yeah. Everything. In different places, Krishna is described. <coughs> so, and it's not, uh, I mean, e e even if if we just concocted something and worshipped it as Krishna, that's wrong. That's, right. Why would we do that? Why did they do it? They did it out of ignorance. And maybe some musty thing that they had going on, you know. But uh, there were ignorant and they weren't accepting the help from Moses they didn't say hey let's we want to worship something personally let's wait till Moses comes back and find out what that should be how it should manifest if they had done that they might have been on the, on the right page yeah please see if it's already cold oh it's already cold <laughs> can I get a spoon I brought you one. Okay. I got one. Yeah. We can still talk. Yes. Absolutely. So, does this make any sense? Yes, absolutely. Uh, suppose they didn't make visual representations of God because when Moses and Abraham and prophets like Elijah were actually very telling about the actual personality incarnation of Jesus Christ would be visual and, and a flesh representation of God for the same yeah, for that time, place, and circumstance. Understand the lay of the land. Okay. What is God? I mean, it's just, it's like Moses goes up there. He says, look, you know, do you have any rules for these people? I mean, they're kind of unruly, you know. So God is saying, you know, tell them not to lust after each other's wives. You know, he's still, don't, don't kill each other. So, analyze. If they were peaceful, pious people, God wouldn't have had to tell them, don't kill each other. Don't lust after each other's why. I mean, come on. 
You see what I mean? This is a criminal that you have to teach that to. It's just like uh, if you read Srimad Bhagavatam, when Sukadev Goswami sits down to speak the Srimad Bhagavatam, he assumed that everybody there listening knew not to kill each other. And not to lust after each other's wives. I mean, it was kind of like if he had said, well, I'd like to say none of you guys should be bearing false with. Duh. Who are you talking to? That's like, you know, don't eat sand. Mm -hmm. Well, what makes you think I would even do that? Mm -hmm. It's a higher caliber of people. It's a higher caliber of consciousness. 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 Same souls, but in a different circumstance. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? So these people were kind of like in the darkness of ignorance and we helped them out. Yeah. They would have been slaves otherwise, and some of them would have chosen that. Yeah. 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 Moses is trying to help them. Really, he just wants to help them out of a really bad predicament. Whereas when the sages assembled to, to hear Sukadeva Goswami, it's kind of assumed that you're not going to, what's that word that they use for busting after? Covet. Do not covet a neighbor's wife. You didn't have to tell them not to do that. You know, so we can start off from a higher level. It's like when you go to calculus class at the university, they don't teach you that two plus two is four. We're assuming that you know that. If you're walking through the door, we're assuming that you know that. Mm-hmm. So we can start from kind of a higher level. It doesn't mean you're a better person than someone in, in second grade, but you have come your consciousness has come to a higher level that I can speak to you differently. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't have to teach you the basics. In other words, you've already, uh, in the yoga uh, ladder, the first thing that they, they want you to learn is yam. You know, in other words, learn how to be a decent person. And then neon, act on that. You see, get some decency and then be decent to everyone. So the the yoga ladder is very similar, you know, up to the point to where now we want to teach you how to sit. We want to teach you how to breathe. Now we're going to get you to the point where we can teach you to love God, you know. So um, Moses had his work cut out for him. These were kind of low-class people. They didn't even, they didn't bathe properly. I mean, think about it. The custom was for the men to be circumcised. Why? Because they didn't bathe. But if you wash... They didn't wash. Now, maybe they lived in the desert and they couldn't afford to wash all parts of their body. So they neglected that part or... 
But if, if there's washing, there's no need for the circumcision. So you just analyze what was going on with these folks. So, all right, you're not going to bathe yourself, so then you should cut that part away. Because it doesn't look like you guys know how to bathe <laughs> properly. You see what I mean? Yeah. Interesting. This is one of the questions I used to ask in church. Why did they want that to happen? Why did they want them to do that? And so reluctantly, I was told, well, it's obvious that they didn't. Either they didn't have the ability or the knowledge or the habits of bathing daily. And some people now don't consider it as a ritual for hygienic prevention for a, a religious rite. And that's why they're, they continue to do it as if hygiene isn't the other option. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I know that, you know, it's it's not at all necessary for a healthy human body. It's like a rite of passage now. Kind of like a Jewish... In a, in a 